This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Picture Play, a fantastic ebook from Jill Krause of babyrabies.com that will teach you how to take photos you love and want to share, print, and frame with only your smartphone and a few free and cheap apps. Go to shopbabyrabies.com. That's shopbabyrabies.com with the coupon code SPAWNED and you'll get $3 off your purchase. Hello and welcome to Spawned, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase. And I'm Liz Gumbiner. We're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. And on today's episode of Spawned, we are talking about Activism 101, how to get involved with issues you care about when you don't necessarily see yourself as an activist. I'm raising my hand. I'm excited about this conversation. I know it's going to be good, (laughs) also because we have an awesome guest. And as always, we'll close out our show with cool picks of the week. So, awesome guest, Kristen. Am I right? Awesome. She's awesome. Oh my gosh. I feel like we've known Elisa forever. Well, I think we kind of have, at least in blogging years, Liz, because she was probably best known as the co-founder and COO of the pioneering global women's media company, BlogHer. Who does not? No blog her. No, that's how we all go back. Everybody, in fact, we just had Catherine Connors on our show last week, and we first met at BlogHer. So it's all coming it's together. It's true. <laughs> so Elisa Kamahort Page is now focused on writing, speaking, consulting with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, organizations. She's doing all kinds of awesome stuff with her COO expertise. But what's really interesting is she's also a badass online activist and in September just published her debut book, Roadmap for Revolutionaries, Resistance, Activism, and Advocacy for All. She co-authored it with Carolyn Jarin. I hope I'm saying that right. I know she's French. And Jamia Wilson. And it was an Amazon number one new release. And what's really cool, it's a hands-on resource guide for activating around the causes you care most about. And impressively, it features contributors and endorsements, including activists and advocates like Gloria Steinem, Senator Kristen Gillibrand, now presidential candidate Kristen Gillibrand, Patrice Cullors, Soledad O'Brien, Ricky Lake, and a lot more. Awesome. Even though the name is Roadmap for Revolutionaries, it's really aimed at people people who want to act but don't necessarily know what to do next. Probably people who don't even see themselves as revolutionaries, just people who want to be the change they want to see in the world, as we see on lots of Instagram posts. And we know that's a lot of parents in general and definitely a lot of our listeners. Mm -hmm. So we really hope this is going to be a helpful conversation for all of you. Welcome, Elisa. Hi, guys. I'm so happy to be on your show. I'm really excited. We have known you like almost as long as we've known each other. That's true. I think we we all met the same day, to be honest. Probably. It's at least a dozen years ago. Yeah. It is. A dozen years ago, a few of us might have had pasties on our shirt at the time we were introduced. <laughs> the blogger conference was very different in 2006 than it is today. It was. But was it, it was though? Indeed. No. <laughs> when there were like six moms and like 87 women who were not moms, and they're like, ugh, why are moms here blogging? <laughs> things have changed. Mm-hmm. So listen, one of the cool things, like when I first got to know you, it was because I was a contributing editor to Blogger mm-hmm. back in the day that it was a big, huge, you know, digital publishing network. And if you recall, the contributing editor, the CE email list was the most extraordinary, amazing lessons for me because there were literally dozens of women. We didn't know each other in person. Mm-hmm. We we're all from different backgrounds in different parts of the country with different politics. Dana Lesh was on our uh. list, for example. <laughs> and yet we all like really learned how to talk respectfully and rationally mm-hmm. and discuss issues and disagree while assuming value. It literally shaped how I have online discussions, Elisa, and I owe that a lot to you. And oh. I want to know how you created that kind of environment 
different because it was so new to me. Well, I I think there were two things that helped create that. And the first was that when we decided to launch the website, we had a set of community guidelines that we published. It was, you know, a link to it on every page of the website, what we would consider acceptable and unacceptable content. And acceptable content was any kind of conversation, including disagreement, but it had to be civil disagreement. And, you know, we sort of defined what unacceptable content was, which was attacking the person, not the idea, defamation, epithets, any hate speech. And then we also had community managers who enforced that. And they enforced it consistently and fairly, no matter the ideology being expressed. And, you know, there were eyes on us because we said, this is what we're going to do. You have to do what you say you're going to do. It's a fundamental tenet to being a good actor in the world. And so, you know, we went in and we enforced a civil tone. And sometimes we would go to people and take down their uncivil comment and give them the shot at reposting. And a lot of times people did, which I just don't think you see people try enough in other websites. But the second component of that that was really important is that we consciously and intentionally said, and we want a big diversity of perspective. We want diversity of experience, diversity of demography, and diversity of ideology with all of these conversations. So we were both intentional about seeking diversity and intentional about making sure that the conversations amongst all those diverse people stayed on track and enforcing it the same, no matter what kind of ideology was being expressed. And let me tell you, we were at the heyday during, for instance, the 2008 election. Oh, yeah. And election years were always the most tense and the most everybody just taking it right up to the line. And, you know, you really had to have a strong moderator hand. And we had some really strong moderators. And so I think those are the two things that really created that environment you're talking about. And I'll tell you, it shaped how I am online, too, because before Blogger, I was a partisan blogger. I was a political blogger and I was partisan. Mm. I blogged for a political party throughout the 2004 election cycle. It's okay. We kind of know which one. You don't have to be so vague, Alisa. (laughs) I never really say, but, you know, I was a partisan blogger. But when we started Blog Her, we wanted to have an omnipartisan organization. And now... My two co-founders, Lisa Stone was a journalist, so she had never publicly expressed political ideology because she was one of those reporter types who was reflecting objectivity. And Jory Desjardins was not in the political realm. So I was the one who actually had some adjusting to do. I had to dial back the way I spoke and learn to speak a different way because I was also the one inviting people to speak at the conference and I was part of the team getting people to write. And if people looked at me and saw that I was just this raging, partisan who could not conduct myself civilly with people with whom I disagreed, I wouldn't have had much success at doing those jobs. And so I really had to learn a new way of talking myself. It was really good. And I I mean, I use that a lot. And I know Kristen does too, when we're moderating the Cool Mom Picks Facebook page. And, Mm. you know, every so often somebody is trolling or they're attacking the person and we're like, nope, our house, our rules. Mm -hmm. You you really taught us that, that, you know, every so often you'll see on Facebook when people get into heated political discussions, like, well, I don't want to stifle free speech. I'm like, It's not free speech to have rules in your own home. That's right. And if you come into my home, you have to be nice to all the guests, even if you disagree. And if not, I'm going to like throw wine on you and kick you out. (laughs) So when we have people come onto Facebook, and it's very rare, it really is very rare, but often we give them the benefit of the doubt first. And we'll try, Mm -hmm. instead of saying like, look, jerk or whatever, you know, we'll we'll say, well, you know, another way of looking at it, or we'll say, maybe you can talk to us more about your point of view instead of attacking the person. And you know what? Like nine times out of 10, they come 
come back and apologize and restate mm-hmm. their view because it's like they're not used to being accountable maybe. Yeah. And when they realize there's actual people, sometimes we forget there's like people yep. behind those avatars. They go, oh God, maybe I hurt somebody. And I think yep. most of us, or maybe it's just we have an awesome community on Cool Mom Picks. You know, even if we disagree, nobody wants to be hurtful. But you have an awesome community on Cool Mom Picks because you've created the tone. You've set the tone. Don't leave yourself out of that equation. One of my favorite people on the web is Anil Dash, and he basically has this quote that says, if your website is full of assholes, it's your fault. And (laughs) back in the day, there was this big discussion, after a woman blogger quit blogging because she was being harassed, there was this big discussion about whether the internet needed a code of conduct. And very nicely, some really big internet bigwigs pointed to bloggers' community guidelines, you know, and said, oh, that's a model. That should be a code of conduct. And we He, in fact, publicly stated, we don't want our code to be a code for everybody. We don't think the internet needs a single code. But every person who owns a website, they have the responsibility to say what's appropriate in their house. Mm -hmm. So you set the tone. That's why you get people who are willing, you know, if they're not willing to play by those rules, they don't come back and you're better off for it. That's a good life lesson. And I think that's a good way to set the tone for this discussion, because Mm. I think activism and being a revolutionary isn't about being contentious necessarily or, Mm -hmm. you know, angry or feisty or getting in fights on the internet. And I think that's what a lot of people perceive. And so they back away from the idea of activism because they think it's confrontational necessarily. I spend very little time arguing with people. If I can tell someone wants to have civil, respectful disagreement, I'm in. You know, you can tell. You can tell when someone isn't listening, wants to name call, is a troll. And then I'm just like, bye-bye. That is not a useful use of my time. It's not productive. It doesn't make me feel good. And it doesn't change anything. So I am out of there. I am a free user of the block function on all social media networks. Yes. I, I feel like I lose nothing from living in a bubble where people are nice to each other, even if they disagree. Like, that's fine. <laughs> I'm I'm good with that bubble. I'm a little petty, though. So on Twitter, I like to use the mute button because I like oh. to imagine that person screaming at me and how much it must drive them crazy to get no rise out so of me. So much of this just sounds like parenting. Are we just parenting <laughs> our Facebook fans? Fans uh, and Twitter followers. Like Sorry, can't hear you. It's like, do we block our kids or do we mute them? <laughs> yeah, right? Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Okay, so let's talk about the word activism. We know mm-hmm. that lots of women want to get involved right now, especially as we become moms. You know, that was the impetus for me to get more involved was when I became a mother. Mm-hmm. And it's become very personal. But I'm wondering if we have to call it activism. And you had spoken about it. Liz just spoke about the word activism and everything that it brings. Have you noticed in your talking and writing and researching if that word is scary to some people, if there's something else we can call it to bring more women to the dark side or the light, I suppose you could say? (laughs) Well, the title of our book was meant to talk about a spectrum of behavior. And I think people find the word resistance and revolutionary scarier. Mm -hmm. Activism is a little less scary. And then advocacy is I think the least scary. And it's okay to think of it that you're just advocating for something. But a point we really try to make in the book is this is not just about politics and government. That's a big thing. But there are other institutions that have so much impact on your daily lives and have policies and practices that are worth you looking into and seeing if they can be made more fair, better. For people who work a regular job, they spend more hours going to work, being at work, coming home from work, thinking about work, than anything else. And for kids, they spend more time going to school, being in school, coming back from school, 
doing homework. Like those are institutions that have this major impact on you. And they also have policies and practices that sometimes could use a little updating, you know, making them more fair and more just. And so it, the book actually is not just about government. And the government it talks about is almost entirely local city, county, state, you know, so it's very much about finding something that's really in your everyday life, right where you live, right in your community. You know, when you're talking about the schools, when you're talking about your city and your county, your neighbors are the ones making decisions and making policy. You can be one of those people. It's just regular people. It's just your neighbors. I think that's really good. You know, the way we talk about it, I mean, even on Cool Mom Picks, we've never been a political site, but we are values-based mm -hmm. and we've always mm -hmm. been values-based. And I think when you think about your values and the issues you care about. And that might be online bullying. Mm -hmm. That might be, you know, environmental concerns. It might be animal shelters. Like there's mm -hmm. all kinds of things people may care about. And the second you use the word politics or revolutionary, like you're saying, I think people get nervous about it. But like we all have something we care about that we can help fix. Right. And, and that's what I like about the book. You've got this really smart five-step approach triage, join, contribute, plan, and track. Yep. Can you just kind of give us the overview of the five-step approach so people understand what to find in the book and how simple this is? What I usually start out by saying is I'm upset about 25 different things every day. <laughs> Lately, it's like every hour. Yeah. You know what? I tweeted this the other night. Sage, my daughter, who's 11, comes in. She knows that nine o'clock belongs to me and Rachel Maddow. <laughs> and she walks in and she goes, what is it tonight, mom? <laughs> like I was like, because it's always something new every hour. But, you know, and I can be upset about those things, but I can't be an effective advocate or activist for 25 different things all the time. So my number one step is to triage and really boil it down. What are the one, two, maybe three issues that you are most passionate about, deserve most of your attention and energy, deserve your ongoing research and looking at how you can help and doing more? I'm not saying you don't react when there's an urgent situation. Hey, when there's a vote about, let's say, net neutrality, you know, the next day in the Senate, yes, call your senator. You know, when there's something happening right then, okay, fine. But pick a couple of things that you're really going to look to have long-term impact on and pick issues that are really ride or die for you, that you know you're going to care about it two years from now and you're going to care about it five years from now. You're going to care about it even when, let's say, you don't like the current administration. Well, even when they're gone, pick the issues you're still going to care about and you're going to feel really emotionally connected to. And maybe you've discovered new issues you didn't know you were emotionally connected to. Like, I never really thought so much about being a first-generation American until this administration, perhaps. But now I'm like, my story, my family's story of immigration to America is something I think a lot about and I care a lot about. And I think moving forward, that's going to be something I devote time and energy to. But it can't be 25 things. You got to narrow it down. I also like that you point out that it shouldn't like hinge on any particular person in office or any administration. Sometimes that can wake you up. Yeah, you exactly. Know. And I think actually that's what's happened in the last two years is that when government functions at its best, we really don't think about mm -hmm. it. And we, we should. We should think about it more often. Mm -hmm. But you really don't until things are falling apart. And then that's when everybody thinks about it. So right. one of the things I like about this book is it really kind of gets you thinking about this isn't just stuff to do during an election year or stuff to right. do when you when you don't like the direction of the government, but that these issues always need people. And, right. you know, thank goodness for those people who dedicate their time to it. So talk about the idea of like joining followed by contributing. When you talk about contribute, are you talking about money? Well, 
That's a good question. So joining is look who's doing the work. And like you said, who are the people who've been doing the work before now, during now, they're going to be doing it from now. Organizations with great informational resources, organizations on the ground, like during this whole immigration issue, I found out about RAICES, R-A-I-C-E-S, an organization in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. I never had heard of them. A couple of years ago, and by the way, pre-Donald Trump, I saw a documentary and read a book about mass incarceration, and I got really activated about it. And I went and found a couple of organizations that are really focused on helping people after they come out of prison. So join other people. And if you want to be an ally, whether it's to people of color, to the LGBTQ community, to the disability community, find organizations that are led by people who are living that experience. You don't have to be a savior. You can support people who are saving themselves. So that's what I mean by join. Don't necessarily go off and start something new. People are out there doing the work and you just are coming to it. You're probably a Johnny come lately, honestly. So find (laughs) find the people. And then when it comes to contributing, yes, of course, dollars. And I'm a big advocate of picking a percentage of my income that I'm going to give dollar-wise. I'm a consultant now, so my income is a lot more erratic. And so that way, it doesn't matter how much I'm making, I'm always giving my 10%, right? But think about all the other things you can contribute. You can contribute your time. You can contribute your skills. A lot of nonprofits and other kinds of organizations, they need people to help them with their books or they need marketing help. Or if you're not the one who's going to sit there and do an Occupy sit-in, maybe the people who are doing that need food delivered to them or need kids babysat. You know, there are ways that you can contribute to people who are doing work that maybe isn't your speed. And also just go look at some of these organizations. Almost every single nonprofit or other kind of organization has a page where they say, what do we need? And like, if you're like us and have a technology graveyard in some room of your house. <laughs> oh, um, get out of my house, Elisa. <laughs> she's using the FaceTime glitch to spy on you. She's, she's right. right, right. Home, Kristen. <laughs> but probably they could use your old phones or your old laptops or whatever. Organizations like that are always on the lookout for way more than money. So contribute what you have to contribute. And by the way, if you have a social media platform, and you've spent time and energy building your influence in those areas, then using that platform is an asset of yours. It's something you have to contribute. I don't believe in dismissing social media activism. I don't believe in having disdain for what people call slacktivism. Uh-uh. Social media has contributed. It's never the only thing that contributes, but it has contributed to major changes in our society. I am like applauding you. I'm so glad to hear you say this. Absolutely. You know, if you're going to get involved with the cause, there's no minimum required to get you involved. There's (laughs) no like anti. And if you're not up to that, you can't do anything. Like if all you do is amplify people whose voices need to be heard Mm -hmm. or, you know, once a week you use your platform that you normally talk about brands, but this time you're going to like talk about a nonprofit you care about. Like, I think that's a value. And I hate when people are discouraged from doing stuff because they're quote unquote, not doing enough. I'm like, what is it ever enough? Like do something. I think we've done way more in the age of social media. I think Mm -hmm. people have been much more active thanks to social media. And by the way, if you know social media well, or even moderately well, that can actually be how you contribute. I just Mm -hmm. volunteered at a pig farm over the weekend. This is cool. I love that you're doing this. You've been sharing it on Cool Mom Picks on Instagram, and it's great. Yeah, with my son, because he's passionate about animals. And when she heard that I worked in social media, she, first of all, didn't make me scoop poop. So thanks for that. And also (laughs) was asking me a lot of questions. um, And I was happy to contribute because that was the way that I could contribute versus, you know, 
chasing around pigs, which my son was doing. So I think we have to think about it in many different ways. Sure, you can send a tweet. But if you know how to use Instagram a little better than perhaps someone at an organization who could use some help, that's a way you can contribute. I wouldn't write any of that off. And I'm glad that you say that because there was this whole movement of like, what, you're just tweeting? Get off your butt. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, tweeting's good. It might lead people to do more. I mean, you never know who's clicking. You never yeah. know. If one person clicks that link, you never know if that's a journalist or someone with some influence or somebody some money to burn. or You just don't know who you're reaching. It frustrates me, especially when I see women in particular. We've been very much socialized to get along. And mm-hmm. I often see like, can we just not talk about politics or can't we just like leave this aside and and people are really scared to use their feeds and and quietly will direct message me or you know text me and say I'm so glad you're talking about this I can't talk about this publicly mm-hmm. and I always think like why not <laughs> yeah long long ago I was quoted as saying that blogging was a gateway drug to technology that that a lot of women <laughs> who started out as bloggers had to teach themselves to code yes and, both of us yeah and I also think slacktivism is a gateway to doing other activism because it exposes you to ideas. It exposes you to actions. It exposes you to more that you can do. You know, I've been in this game for a long time and I believe in its power. Yeah. And Kristen, I'd like to think now of Slacktivism as us using our Slack channel to talk about activism. <laughs> I know you keep saying Slacktivism and I'm like, <laughs> Slack? Yeah, I use Slack. Okay. So let's talk a bit about how activism and your involvement in activism relates to how much you immerse yourself in the news. And Liz and I have very different approaches to this. So I actually Mm -hmm. do not keep up with the news. I'm on Twitter and I run social media, not just for Cool Mom Picks, but for other companies. And I actually try to pay as little attention as possible, to be honest with you, because it really affects my Mm -hmm. mental health and anxiety. Mm -hmm. But I still like to consider myself to be someone who cares about issues and gets involved when I can. I think Liz is probably in a very different space when it comes to the news. I like to know what's going on. And I I don't. But I have cut back because I feel the same way. Like I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm not on Twitter for four hours, even when I come back, the world probably hasn't fallen apart. And whatever's happened in those four hours, I can catch up on. Right. So yeah, like there was a period where I think it was very addictive because we're like in a crazy news cycle where everything Mm -hmm. is is just 24-7 breaking news. There's no end to it. And partly that's the downside of social media. So what do you think, Lisa? Is it necessary to be tuned in all the time? Is it smart to take breaks? Like, where do you stand on this? Well, I no longer watch any TV news or commentary, nor really do I listen to the radio. Like, I don't listen to the radio when I drive. Not even Rachel? No. Sometimes I listen to her podcast. Um, Here's why. I don't want to be ambushed by hearing the voice or seeing the face of someone to whom I have a really visceral physical reaction and a sense of disorientation every time I have to realize that that person is running our country. Like <laughs> I, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm reading your mail. It's not even just that. It's that the 24-hour news cycle creates this endless string of arguments on TV. Yeah. And the oh, whataboutism and both sidesism yeah. that I yep. mean the, the famous example is that if they had someone on talking about the Holocaust, you know, the 24-hour news channels would have someone on denying it to give equal time. And I don't think they go that far. Who did that fabulous analysis? I want to say it was like the Daily Show or Samantha B or somebody like that. And they showed how CNN is actually set up 
to be now like ESPN, mm. where it's literally a series of panels of people arguing with each other the way they argue over sports, yeah. which is a little different than like what MSNBC does, where it's more analysis as opposed to like he said, she said arguing. Right. But it's fascinating. I got to dig it up. We'll link it up on our site. It's a really, yeah. really good. Like you watch it and you just like this light bulb goes off and you say, uh, like, I honestly, I barely watched CNN since reading that because I realized that's what they're doing. They're making me watch a fight. It's like the real housewives of the news. <laughs> like, I don't want to see Right. That. And I don't want to consume that. I mean, I, I'm always telling people to remember that you not only control what you create online, you control what you consume. And I try not to consume things that are going to really raise my blood pressure. So I read my news. I, I'm back to having a feed reader. What do you use? What do you use for a feed reader? Uh, Feedly is cool. the one I've been using. And I subscribe to all the major news outlets and I scan the headlines and, you know, I drop in and dig in. I mean, I'm online all day. So I definitely see what's happening on Twitter and Facebook. And that does act as a guidepost to me sometimes about what I need to pay attention to. But then also a few times a day, I look at my feed reader just to see what else is happening. But I simply cannot listen or see that kind of constantly on red alert argumentative. Most of it isn't news. It's opinion. Most of it is just riffing because they don't really have anything new to say. Plus, do you notice now it'll say breaking news all the time, even if it's something that <laughs> happened like the day before? I'm like, that's not breaking. Like, I'll see breaking news. And I'm like, what? And I turn on the volume and it's like, oh, this happened last night. <laughs> so yeah. it's not so even breaking anymore. <laughs> I control the channel by which I consume my news so that it is less aggravating and crazy making for me versus reading where I can have a sense of detachment. And also before I decide, I believe whatever someone's shouting at me on the TV or radio, I can actually read it, see if there are other links and sources. You know, One of my favorite examples is that these news outlets, I think they're somewhat motivated to make us all think that we are a completely 50-50 polarized half hate the other half country yeah. because that gins up all of our emotions and that makes us want to pay attention. And I actually think if you look at the data, that's not how it is. I'd say it's probably more like 70-30, and we can be upset about the 30%, but it's really not 50-50. Well, you're very media savvy, too. And, you know, I studied that in college. I was a communication major, and I still get, like, sucked in by things or by headlines that are not accurate. And so, right. you know, I, I like that you're discerning about what media you look at. And, you mm -hmm. know, and it's different because of what you do. Like, Kristen, what's your rule? Like, where do you get your news from when you get it? Do you kind of do it just once in a while? Is it through, like, iPhone alerts? I don't look at it consistently, honestly. My husband will send me stuff because he's always on Twitter. I send you stuff. Yeah, I tend to <laughs> wait for people to send me articles. But I, I wanted to say that your decision to go with a feed reader is timely, Elisa, especially with mm -hmm. all the stuff that's happening with Facebook, mm -hmm. with so many people getting <laughs> their news from Facebook, and with so many issues that Facebook book is having, and we just featured all of the stuff that's gone down this past week on Cool Mom Tech, I think it's so wise because not only are you avoiding the shouting, mm -hmm. you're also avoiding the misinformation, and you're avoiding someone else choosing what you're going to be seeing. You're the one now who is controlling what you're consuming mm -hmm. when you're using a feed reader. And I think that more people are probably going to be going that direction, and I certainly hope they are. And that includes me because mm -hmm. I work in social. I'm on it all the time. And it's hard to not get my news just from Facebook because yeah. I'm on it so much. And I think it's wise to look at other ways for us to consume it and to control it. I think that's great. I have a very well curated 
Twitter feed now of a variety mm. of voices and perspectives and party lines and geographic interests. And so I want to see what all different kinds of people that I respect, even if I don't always agree with them, are sharing. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. where I get a lot of my news from. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I took the time to cultivate a feed where, you know, I'll see things I wouldn't have ordinarily seen because Bill Crystal shares it. You know, it's not necessarily like we have all the same <laughs> ideas, but like, you know, I want right. to see what he's reading. And so I find that more helpful. And then as far as the news, I try to stick with the analysts I like, as opposed to like the yelling at each other ESPN type right. panels. Like you, Elisa, I used to watch stuff 24-7. I can't anymore. So mm -hmm. I try to scroll through what I can from places and people I respect. The other thing is I really learned to look at the bylines. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough to say it's from the Times or it's from the Washington Post or it's from Fox News. I want to know who's reporting it. Because yep. like now I'm wonky enough that I know there's a difference between the perspectives of different reporters at BuzzFeed News or different reporters at the Washington Post. They're going to have different perspective, different beats, even like different access journalism type interests with the White House. So yeah, I get super wonky on that. But it's also enabled me not to have to be on TV all the time. And I think just like kind of TV, especially during the day, worst possible source of news. <laughs> There's a lot of blending of what is news and what is opinion, especially when you're looking at headlines or feeds or Facebook or Twitter. I'm very circumspect now about sharing. And like you, I've cultivated a feed of people I feel comfortable sharing. But I do think that it's designed almost to confuse us and loosen our grip on the difference between fact and opinion. And I just really try not to fall into that trap. I want the facts so I can have my opinion. That's really smart. And I think this is a tough thing for women in particular, but you know, parents, like especially, we just have a lot to juggle. And we don't all have the time to just be on like social media and to like read every byline and know who Maggie Haberman is and know how she writes. <laughs> like that's really, really wonky stuff. I enjoy that. I'm mm -hmm. like kind of a data nerd in that way. So I like that. Mm -hmm. But where do you think is the best place to put your energy in general when you don't have a lot of time or money and you want to do more than just like read the news slash be outraged slash yell about stuff? You know, I think if you're talking about where to put your time and energy and like actually doing something, I would look for localized chapters or branches of organizations that are working on things you care about or check out your local neighborhood association or city council meeting or county board of supervisors. But for instance, the ACLU, if that's your jam, they have localized chapters that do things. You know, a lot of organizations, Planned Parenthood has lots of localized chapters. And first of all, they're connected to the national organization. So you're going to get the generalized information, but they can also tell you what's happening right in your community. And for different states, you know, because state laws matter a lot in a lot of issues we all care about. And different states can have really widely varying outcomes around the issues that you may care about. And so sort of connecting yourself to a local chapter will help you figure out how to get something done in your own area and help your neighbors. So, you know, by the time something bubbles up and is making you upset at the national level, it's probably been percolating down in a lot of cities and counties and states to ladder up to the big national problem. And that's really true of a lot of today's biggest issues. I mean, the issues around, let's say one of my top issues is um, gerrymandering and voter suppression. Like that is hugely 
enacted at a state level. Mm -hmm. You know, it is secretaries of state and governors and legislatures that pass these laws that suppress the vote or create these districts that corrupt the vote. That's happening right where you live. Same with choice. If you're a pro-choice person, some states, it's the law of the land and you're fine. And some states, it's pretty much outlawed right now. You know, look at where you are and see how you can impact what happens to your neighbors. When we spend all our time watching the 24-7 news cycle and spend all our time caring about the president and the administration and don't really know what's happening where we are, it's actually contributing to what's happening at the national level being ever more polarized and upsetting because we get disconnected from our very own neighbors. You're right. By the time it gets so high, it feels overwhelming. And if you drill Mm -hmm. down to what's happening at a local level, I think that's beautiful advice. It really makes it feel like you can make a difference. And I think it's hard to get involved with things when you can't see results, whatever that is. No one wants to take a class where you come out of it not feeling like better than when you started. And, And it stinks to feel like you tried to join up with something or signed a petition and then you just don't know what came out of it. So I I love the idea. Two things I would say that's why triaging and really focusing on a couple of issues allows you to do more and therefore feel more of the results. But also, you know, one of my last steps I always tell people is really stay on top of if you've activated around something local and in your community, like stay on top of what happens and track the wins. And this ladders up to nationally as well. You know, it's easy to only remember the losses and it's easy to get pulled into the every day some new horrible thing happens mindset. And it's hard to measure the horrible things that aren't happening because people are rising up. Right. I think that's probably the hardest thing is to know all the things that are prevented because people have banded together to prevent them. And how do you measure that? It's very difficult. But really take a moment and track your wins because you're going to remember those losses no matter what. You're going to obsess about those. And so you need to give yourself some pats on the back and encouragement as well, because that's what we all need to kind of keep going is just a sense that we're accomplishing something. And really, people are accomplishing stuff every day. Small changes are being made every day and big Bad things are not happening every day because people are activating. You know, it's funny that you say that. It's just that those little things aren't newsworthy. But I love Mm -hmm. that you are emphasizing how important they are. So you just mentioned this idea of keep going, even if it looks like there are losses, keep going. And so I want to just close by asking you this. You, You write that there's still a lot to do. In these next two years, it's been a long two years already. Yes. And, you know, we need to find whatever it is inside ourselves to keep us going. And you talked about looking at the wins, as small as they may be, not Mm -hmm. focusing on the losses. What else can you say to folks in terms of keeping going? How do we keep going when things feel tough? Maybe it's something that you do. You know, maybe you can list off a few things that, if it's not you, that you've seen work for other people to help us all hang tough here and dig down and find, you know, something to help us make it through. Find our inner Oprah. Yes. (laughs) Well, I think it all really comes down to deciding what's important to you and then carving out the time that you're going to allocate to it. I put things in my calendar. Like I put in 30 minutes each day to follow up on certain kinds of things I'm working on. And I put it in my calendar and it's not like I'm always 100% doing it at 8 a.m. But the fact is I'm allocating my time. I always hated the term work-life balance, but now I talk about work-life activism balance because I don't want us to go back. I mean, you may feel upset, but don't you also feel really energized and really aware and really involved and really like something has been lit inside of you? 
take the positive of that. You don't want to go back to like having that fire go out and being complacent and not caring and not really knowing what's happening to your neighbors and community members that you care about. So carve out some time, narrow down your focus and really dig in and learn. I'm a big believer in lifelong learning and always changing things. And if you care about issues, consider that part of your lifelong learning that you're going to dig in and learn more about immigration. I like all these people talk about, well, my ancestors came here, they did it legally. Well, if they came here before the 1920s and they were white, there was no legally. Like they just Mm. showed up on our shores and became citizens. (laughs) There was no process. Well, it was on Facebook, Elisa, so it must Uh, be true. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite Twitter feeds is our friend Jennifer Mendelson, blogger from way back. She's at Clever Title TK. Oh, yes. And she's the person who started the resistance genealogy Mm. hashtag. She's brilliant. It's like the one of the most engaging, fascinating educational Twitter feeds where she goes and does research, just stuff that's out there and in public record about people's immigration histories and their ancestors. So the people who are screaming loudest against immigration, she's like, oh, really? Because in 1890, your (laughs) Aunt Elka came here from Germany, thanks to chain migration. And it's awesome. It's really good. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I always say, like, be passionate and narrow your focus and really dig in. But also, everyone should be following some accounts that just make them smile. I follow Emergency Kittens. I follow <laughs> I, I Am Mosho, the cat rapper. Actually, that was Catherine Connor's pick of the week last week. I Am Mosho? Yes. I think <laughs> I we're all that. kind of in the same brainwave with who we need to call. Kristen, what's that. your funny... Do you have, like, one funny feed that you always love looking at? I honestly don't look at anything. <laughs> I work on social media and I don't consume it personally anymore. I honestly rely on the people in my life. I'm a user. I use other people when it comes to social media. So I rely on Liz. Well, I'll give you one really funny one. I even tweeted it last night. There's a Twitter feed called You Had One Job. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. And it's at underscore you had one job one, the number one. I was scrolling it with my kids last night because we just needed to like laugh. It was a weird week and I was crying so hard. I had to take a shot of Ventolin. Like for real. I was wheezing. (laughs) I was laughing so hard. It's like, you know, like signs that are misspelled and oh my like God. tiles that are misplaced. Like it's nothing you probably haven't seen before, but it's just really, That's awesome. really, really funny. I also like racist dog whistle. Racist dog whistle. <laughs> so he, he, he just retweets or he or she retweets something that's just subtly racist. And it's just a picture of a dog is the profile picture. And then the comment is rough, 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 rough. <laughs> and it's just the racist dog whistle. And it's kind of serious, but it also makes me laugh I was going to say, that says a lot about you, Elisa. That, that's your like just <laughs> for fun feed. Oh my God. All right. Well, now I have folks that I need to follow. So first of all, let's just say it's lovely speaking with you. You're going to stick around for cool picks of the week, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Um, your book, Roadmap for Revolutionaries, Resistance, Activism, and Advocacy for All is available at Amazon.com, your local bookstore. If not, you can certainly go there and ask them to get it. But we want to know, mm-hmm. how can folks find you? Do you have things coming up that people can see you? Um, you know, What's the best way for people to uh, keep up with you? Yeah, so my website is elisacp.com, and that's where all my speaking appearances are in media, And then, you know, I'm Elisa C. on Twitter. Most of my posts on Facebook are public. And I'm Elisa C.P. on Instagram. Good consistent branding, Elisa. (laughs) Camelworth Page. That's awesome. And of course, the book is Roadmap for Revolutionaries, which is at, conveniently, RoadmapForRevolutionaries.com. And we'll be back with Cool Picks of the Week right after this. 
So, Liz, I know that you have been using Jill's new ebook, Picture Play, to take better photos. It is so good. I know. I've been using it too. Have you seen my photos on Instagram? Yes. They're like getting better. Yes. And for those of you who don't know Jill Krause, first of all, what's wrong with you? She's amazing. <laughs> She's the author of babyrabies.com. She is taking her family on this like whirlwind, lost in America RV tour of the country. She's like doing super cool things that she shares on social media, but she also happens to be an incredible writer and photographer and she put together this brilliant like it's like a hundred page ebook it's really good yeah I mean and what I love is that you get these ebooks and you're like okay well now I've got to get a fancy camera now I've got to get all this equipment and no that's not the case nope. if you have a smartphone you can do this stuff too all of her tips and tricks and techniques can be applied to any camera and all the apps that she features are for both iPhone and Android and by the way not sure how she did that because it's hard to find good Android apps but props to you, Jill, for making it happen. She did. And in fact, I will tell you, she gave me one of my best ever tips about how to use the curves tool in nice. a color story nice. last year that completely changed my photos. And she has that tip in the ebook. Oh. And if you want to see it in use on my Instagram feed, my personal feed at Mom101, I posted a picture of my daughter taking a ballet class. The whole thing was like dark and awful and backlit. And it looks like this bright, white, beautiful ballet studio now all because of Jill's photo tips. She's really good. So when you purchase the book, it's an instant download, so you get it right away. And it's so beautiful. It's easy to read. So look, whether you're sharing photos on Instagram, whether you just want to have great photos on your phone, or you know what, you want to print them out and frame them, Picture Play can really help you do that. And we've got a special offer for Spawn listeners. You can save $3 on this ebook. If you go to shopbabyrabies.com, use the code Spawn and you'll get $3 off. And then make sure you share all of your photos and tag us so that we can see how amazing your photos are turning out now. They really will look great. I can attest to that. I'm not just an endorser. I'm also a client. Same here. All right. It is time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And Elisa, you are our guest. You get to go first. Oh, awesome. So the thing that I'm going to pick is my air fryer because it's the one kitchen appliance I've ever gotten that I actually use more than, I use it more than once a week, people. Here's my biggest tip. I'm a vegan. I can chop up a block of tofu, which is, by the way, zero points on Weight Watchers in case anyone cares, and put it in this air fryer. And it is like going to a restaurant and having a little fried tofu appetizer. And it's zero points. So it takes 20 minutes. You know, it's so funny that you mentioned this because we have a Facebook group called Recipe Rescue. And someone just put a poll up asking whether people liked the air fryer or not. And we got so many comments mm. about the air fryer. So you are on trend with your kitchen gadgets, Elisa. It's true. <laughs> Even on Cool Mom Eats, Kate yeah. A2, our associate editor, who also is vegan, she does our weekly meal plan and she just included an air fryer burger. You know, it's meat or meatless. And so that led to like tons of discussion also. So you were like on trend. Everybody's talking about air fryers this week. Now I'm intrigued. Wow, who knew? Well, and I love that you said you use it more than once a week because I think that's a good barometer in terms of like kitchen gadgets because like you mm -hmm. can go crazy with kitchen gadgets. So to know that you're using it more than once a week, that's very, I my interest is now peaked. I know. I'm the queen of like, I need a spiralizer. And that, like I use it once and then, yeah. you know, it sits in my uncon Mari drawer. <laughs> so Liz, you've got a gadget too for your cool pick of I the do. week. I do. So, you know, we are experiencing the polar vortex from hell or whatever the cold <laughs> version of hell is these days. It is 
has been so miserable. And people are always surprised that don't live in New York City that we don't have thermostats. You know, we have mm-hmm. essential air. And um, that means it's chilly. <laughs> it's chilly in our apartment in certain places like my kid's room, which doesn't have its own essential air or heating system. And so we've been using the Dyson Hot and Cool fan heater. Oh. And it's the most genius, brilliant, amazing thing ever. It looks beautiful, first of all. It's big, but it's kind of tall and narrow. It's super safe. It heats the room really fast and really evenly with no cold spots. And because my kids have a bunk bed, I love that, you know, it's like equally warm up top as it is down below where my younger daughter is. It's really good. It's really good. And it's like in the 450 range. It's not cheap. It is one of the best investments. I love it so much. So we'll put a link to it on Cool Mom Picks if you want to check it out. I mean, they have it at Amazon. They have it all over the place, but it's the Dyson Hot and Cool Fan Heater. Love, 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 love everything about it. Well, now I feel like I should pick a gadget. No, ladies. pick anything. Well, I mean, if I had to pick a gadget, let me just, I'll, I'll do my actual pick, but can I just say that I got a Eufy, that's E-U-F-Y, it is a robotic vacuum, hmm. and it is the best thing that I ever got in my entire life. I don't know why I waited so long. Sorry, Cool Mom Tech, for not listening to you two years ago when you recommended. Eufy? Yeah, it's a Eufy. It's E-U-F-Y. It's, you know, along with the Roombas and all the other ones out there. Yeah. It had my a robot. super high rating on Consumer Reports, and I have three dogs and four children. I have, like, seven living beings that make messes. Mm. Should I count my husband in that? Eight. I don't make messes, so I don't count I'm for that. I'm looking at it right now. It's awesome. Like, Yuffie. It sounds short for euphemism. I was like, Yuffie. We call her Rosie. Anyway, I'm, that's my gadget. I'm, I don't know why I didn't get it sooner. It's so great. It makes me very happy in my life. But my actual pick is the Heavyweight Podcast. Do either of you listen to Heavyweight with Jonathan Goldstein? No. Okay. It is lovely. So I've been on a real crime podcast kick. Like when you start dreaming about, you know, cutting holes in pipes in a prison (laughs) 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 to to escape. You're like, maybe I need to listen to lighter things, just like you have the fun people in your Twitter feed. So what this is, it's very heartwarming. And what he does is he goes back to moments in people's lives when things changed. And that could be, you know, in a recent episode, a woman was trying to figure out why these girls who had been bullying her came to her door one day. She never answered the door. She never knew what happened. She never knew why. And so she decided she was going to try to figure out and see if anyone remembered why they had come to her door. It was fascinating. Wow. Ano- yeah. Another one was like Jonathan's dad and uncle were 80 and 85 had stopped talking 40 years ago and he just wanted to figure out why and they ended up reuniting. So it's very heartwarming. Hmm. It's very well done. It's a Gimlet Media podcast. So it's excellent quality. And I have to say I'm through season one. They're recording their fourth season now. So I've got a long way to go. But if you need something Something that, you know, after you've listened to Spawned, of course, you need something heartwarming. And I feel like I learn a little bit, but it's not, I mean, I'm a little teary-eyed, but I'm not bawling. How's that as a rating scale? It's like those good human interest stories that aren't just clickbaity, but actually are kind of yeah, rich and absolutely. interesting and absolutely. like show you the human condition. I love stuff like that. So, so anyway, and I tweeted him and he said, thanks, cool moms. So, you know, I have to give him a shout out. So he's a cool podcaster. He is a cool podcaster and a cool dad and he's Canadian. So, you know, you got to love that. Oh, so he's nice too. <laughs> he's nice too. <laughs> and of course, we will link all of these wonderful things up, the air fryer and the podcast and the Ufi and the Dyson all up on our podcast page, along with Elisa's book and anything else that we talked about on our show. Well, that's it. That was a great episode. Wow. I, I'm like really motivated to kind of 
hone my news sources and get involved. That was good. I like when I learn stuff from our guests. Yes. And hey, we hope you learned a lot too. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Spawned. And huge thanks to our engineer, John Bowen. And we love hearing from you. I know. Liz, we can't be broken records forever with this. But we're going to because we love getting your emails and your tweets and your Facebook comments. We're not just saying it because it's part of our script. We, we actually really do like getting them. <laughs> no, we really do. Like when we get an email, we're like, oh, oh, look, this person at this really Yay. nice thing. And I, here's what happens. I check the emails then I send them to Liz and then Liz responds or sometimes I do. We actually email you back. So if you want to drop us an email, you can. You can. We'll write you back. And some people are even like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you wrote me back. And we're like, what? We say every week that we really do write you back. We were not nope, lying. We don't have assistance. We don't have our kids write back for us. So if you email spawned at coolmompics.com or you tweet us using the hashtag spawn show or comment on Facebook, we will comment back or email you back or tweet you back because that's just how we are. But of course, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. In fact, go ahead and do it right now while you're listening to us and be sure to download or save our episodes. And you know what, Liz? A friend of mine, she downloads all of her episodes, not because she's trying to help out the podcaster, which is nice. It's nice that you do that. But she likes to make sure she will always be able to access them. Isn't that nice? Yes, that's what I do because I want to listen on the subway and sometimes not so good Wi-Fi. New York City MTA. So yeah, if I have it downloaded, then I can keep going with Spawned or Bagman or Heavyweight or whatever I'm listening to that day. Well, thanks for listening to Spawned. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye.